This week, we're talking career design for the resident physician. Listen in. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew, and welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome, because today, like on every episode, you're going to hear from the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues relating to the early career physician. Today, we have a special episode given by myself. This is a re-recording of a lecture I gave to internal medicine residency. In it, we're going to discuss how to approach career design for the resident physician. Let's get right into it. My returning listeners, and probably some of my new listeners already know who I am, but my name is Andrew Tisner. I'm an emergency physician, the associate chair of emergency medicine for my hospital, the host of this podcast, as well as a career strategist for early career physicians who are dissatisfied with their current situation and looking to make a change. Now, I think it is important to start thinking about career design proactively rather than being three to five years into practice, realizing you're miserable, and starting this process then. Hopefully, if you can take some real steps early in your career, even in residency, to decide what kind of career would be best for you, then you won't end up in that position. So first thing I want to do is start with a little exercise. I'm going to ask you a question and then hit the pause button. Think about it a little bit. Or if you're saving the work for later, write it down. The question is, where do you see yourself in three years? Not just, I'm in a cardiology fellowship or I'm in private practice. Be specific. What are you doing? Where do you live? Who do you work with? What kind of money are you making? What does your work experience look like? Get really specific. And we're talking three years right now, not five, not 10, three years. Most of you will be done with residency or approaching the end of your residency for our longer surgical colleagues. Okay, are you done? Did you do the exercise? Did you think about it? Did you really think about it? I'll give you a little more time. Maybe you want to discuss it with somebody. All right, let's move on. I want to talk briefly about my own journey. For those who follow me, you probably know this already, so you can kind of zone out for the next couple of minutes, but... Residency was a big challenge for me, and not in the traditional sense. The medicine was challenging, but doable. But I really didn't enjoy it. Um, My wife and I matched two hours apart, and I was driving back and forth two hours uh, almost every day, uh, which really isn't good. We'll get to deal breakers and commutes later. And I was burnt out throughout residency and my attendings just told me it would get better and it was usual to be unhappy as a resident. But don't worry, once you're in attending, it'll be so much better. And so I clung to that. And then when I got out, I took jobs at every kind of hospital manageable from tiny little critical access hospitals to level one trauma centers and teaching hospitals, trying to find the place that would just make me happy. 
uh, and and not really be burnt out. And I never found it. Right? So I, I just started this quest in order to escape medicine. I, at some point, I said I would do anything if I could replace my clinical salary. I mean, I got you know half a million dollars of loans to pay. So. I started trying to do everything. I'd be like, well, today I'm going to do aesthetics and tomorrow I'm going to do uh, insurance work. And the next day I had something else. I'm going to join the pharmaceutical industry, you know, just looking for the big ones. And my wife was going to kill me because she's like, just focus on something, figure out if you like it and then, and then go for it, but have a plan. So we put it on hold until we move back to Buffalo, New York, where we are currently. And at that point in that, middle time, I did a lot of self-reflection. I worked with some of my mentors, some coaches of my own uh, in order to figure out what I really wanted to do. And so I figured that out. And in short order, I was able to hodgepodge a career together doing a whole bunch of different things that I really enjoy. Uh, And so now I'm still working clinically, but I'm doing lots of other things, which bring me career fulfillment and happiness. And that works for me. So I did my own sort of personal career design. So just to break it down for you, right now, I work 0.5 FTE. That's a full-time equivalent, right? So if you work full-time, that's 1.0. So 0.5 clinical emergency medicine, 0.4 as uh, the ER director of my facility. I have this podcast. I have my consulting business, and I do some utilization chart review on the side. And that adds up to my 1.0 and keeps me nice and happy. So it doesn't have to be a direct switch from whatever you're doing to something else. You could always piece some things together. Uh, But that's my own personal story. So let's get back into it. What is career design? So career design is proactively envisioning and creating the ideal career for you. This is based on your values, your interests, your strengths, and your professional goals. So the next question is why do we do career design? And there's a number of different reasons. Number one, longevity, right? We're seeing the largest exodus of young physicians from the profession in the history of time. That's horrible, right? So you want to be able to have a long career. You've worked so hard. You spent so much money getting to this point. You've sacrificed birthdays and weddings and all kinds of stuff, your 20s, in order to have this career. So we should be able to do it for a long time. How about the enjoyment of your career, right? That matters. You want to go to work and enjoy what you're doing. Now, I'm not saying you're going to jump out of bed every morning and be like, hip, hip, hooray, I get to go to work today. But I also don't want you crying in your car in the parking lot before you walk in the building. Burnout prevention, the big one, right? Uh, Instead of resiliency training and um, mandatory yoga, let's try to figure out a way to have a career that doesn't burn us out on a daily basis. And finally, why not, right? Why shouldn't you dream of the career that's perfect for you and then go get it, right? You're smart people. So this brings me into career happiness. And what is career happiness anyway? So career happiness is not this mythical unicorn. Career happiness comes from a bunch of different things. One of them is uh, happiness is brought on by a career that aligns with your values and belief system, which we're going to talk about. Work that enthralls you. How about supportive relationships and no major deal breakers? We're going to talk about deal breakers and ideals later. A career that helps others. Now, we all go into med school and we're like, in our personal statements or application, we all say we want to help people. Nobody really knows what that means, right? You know, Um, is that just a fantasy? No. 
we certainly help people on a daily basis as physicians, but you want to have a career that makes you feel like you are personally helping people. Now, if that career is something in the pharmaceutical industry and knowing that you're doing the research to help drugs safe and that's helping people, that's helping people for you. If that's working in insurance in the insurance company and perhaps preventing some denials and that makes you feel like you're helping people, then that's helping people for you. If it's working in administration and feeling like you can affect many more patients and physicians' lives, then that's helping people. It's helping people for you. And finally, a career that utilizes your strengths. I'm really focused on strengths and not making your weaknesses better, but utilizing what is unique to you as a strength. So right now, you're a resident, and your major thought is, there's a big branching point for you. Do you go on to do a fellowship and more training, or do you straight to making the Benjamins, right? That's the only options you have, right? That's what you gotta think about. I'm gonna say there's other things to consider. So if you decide to do a fellowship, you gotta think about which one. And what goes into that? Well, money. Money definitely goes into that. I'm not saying you should choose a specialty based on how much money you make, but it is certainly a factor, right? Because you're going in for more training, more hours, more deferred salary. How about hours and work-life balance? Are you gonna be uh, an interventional cardiologist where you're getting called Saturday night at six in the morning to go in and do a cath? Or are you going to be like a rheumatologist working nine to five without call or weekends? Now, I'm married to a rheumatologist. I know a lot goes into it, but I just. But honestly, work-life balance and hours really make a difference. What are your academic interests? You know, if if you uh, say you're going to be a nephrologist, but you hate the kidney, probably it's not the best thing for you to do. How about the length of the fellowship? One year versus three years is a major difference, right? And what about the strength of your application? That matters. And if you don't do a fellowship, a lot of times you can choose between going into private practice, working for an academic institution, or a community-based practice. But there's other factors to to consider. So academic versus community, that's a big branching point. Private practice versus a group practice. Are you going to go out on your own? Or are you going to join a group? Are you going to be a hospital employee or a contractor 1099 status? Should you do locums or PRN work? There's a lot of things that go into what kind of practice setting you're going to work in. What about the dark side, the non-clinical careers that your mentors and your faculty don't really talk about? Well, education is a good non-clinical career. You could work for a medical school. You could do teaching on the side, work for a college, high school, pharmaceutical industry. And there are many jobs in the pharmaceutical industry. Everyone thinks about the reps, right? But there's medical science liaison. There's pharmacovigilance. How about medical writing for a journal, for a paper, for a blog, administrative work on many different levels? Insurance medicine and utilization review. There's medical advertising. There's all kinds of consulting to industry, small business, startups, tech companies. There's medical aesthetics. There's so many non-clinical careers that I would spend a whole lecture listing them. But there's all kinds of things you can do. And a lot of these can be done part-time. So let's get right into it. How does it work? So 
I do three parts for career design. The why, who am I, what am I good at? The what, what are my goals, and the how. Well, let's go. So who am I? There are a lot of podcasts out there. Murder mysteries, breaking news. There's even a podcast about garden gnomes. But instead, you are here learning how to be the best physician you can be. Smart move. Do you know what else is a smart move? Working a locum tenens assignment with Comp Health. Now, I know what you're thinking. You already have a job, but that's the best part. You can work flexible locum assignments on the side for extra income. Or you can work locums full-time, too. And to top it all off, Locums almost always pays more on average. Just head to financialresidency.com slash comp health and see what locums can do for you financially. There are a lot of different exercises to figure out who you are and what matters to you. Some of them I like to do is what would you do if your degree disappeared? Tomorrow, you couldn't be a doctor. Let's take student debt and all that other confounding factors off the table. What would you do if your degree disappeared? What would you do if you could not fail? You had the golden touch. Anything you did wound out perfectly. What would you do if it was impossible to fail? That was not an option to you. You couldn't fail. What would you do? Well, come on, pause it. Take some time. Think about it, right? What would you do if your degree disappeared? What would you do if you could not fail? You start talking about people in this way, you come up with some really interesting ideas and answers. And maybe you're not going to be an astronaut. But maybe some of the things that made that job appealing to you could be taken elsewhere. And then change the narrative. Who are you instead of what should I do? Right? Everyone comes to me, clients like, I'm unhappy. I want to do something else. What should I do? Well, I don't know. You know, we start talking about who are you as a person? What matters to you? What are your values? And that's the next part, your core values. What is your big why? And core values are probably the hokiest thing I ever get into, right? But these actually matter because if you do work that is disparate to your values, you will never be happy despite the salary, despite the work life, anything like that. You need to have work that is true to your values. So here's a core values exercise. Um, This is helpful to do visually, but we can talk it out. Uh, I'm going to list some example values shortly. And then take some time and list all the values that are important to you. Narrow this down to your top five. Then narrow that down to your top three. Once you have a top three, why did you select your top three? What is important about each of those values to you? Remember, list the values, narrow them down to five, narrow them down to three, and then why'd you pick those three? So some example values are abundance, achievement, adventure, affection, balance, beauty, competence, competitiveness, commitment, collaboration, courage, creativity, discipline, fairness, fame, family, freedom, friendship, health, impact slash legacy, integrity, love, objectivity, openness, passion, personal development, pleasure, power, recognition, self-respect, service, spirituality, status, tolerance, wealth, wisdom. There are no bad values. If your top three values were wealth, power, and legacy, that doesn't say anything about you, but it's important to know these things going into it. So remember, 
List every one of them that's important to you. Narrow them down to five, then narrow them down to three. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is a difficult exercise. This takes time. So play this over a few times and think about it. Once we know our car values, we get into the what? Goal setting. I love this stuff, right? This is where we get to the meat and potatoes of figuring out what your career is going to look like, right? So first, I'd like to talk about the importance of both short and long-term goals. It's important. Remember, we talked about what's your three-year goals, right? It's important to have a six-month, one-year goal, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, right? Um, all of those in the short and long-term are very important to help you move forward, because importantly, is to take action, to do things that move you forward, even incrementally. So the question is, what do I want? It's easier to start with what I do not want. I often tell medical students that are asking me how to pick a specialty, make a list of all of them, cross out the ones you absolutely hate, and then figure out why you don't like those. Because it's much easier to figure out what you don't want than it is what you do. Um, impossible goals, right? I love impossible goals because impossible should be in quotation marks. There is no impossible goal. Um, these are big audacious goals that you think there's no way I can get this done. But in fact, when you set big audacious goals, oftentimes you find that you get them done in a shorter period of time than you even thought was possible. I think the smart goals paradigm is flawed personally. Um, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound. I take issue with realistic, as we talked about before, and impossible. Um, specific and measurable and actionable and time-bound, great. But realistic, oftentimes we put ourselves into a little box when we start talking about what is realistic versus what is not. How do you know what is realistic? Set big, crazy goals. Next, we're going to talk about strengths. So like I said before, careers should be based primarily in your strengths. Don't try to fix your weaknesses. Utilize your strengths. Except while you're still in residency, definitely try to fix your weaknesses and knowledge gaps. For the program directors out there, just, yeah, definitely, definitely fix those in residency. But when we're talking about career design, you want to deal with your strengths. And you want to deal with strengths that actually matter. So maybe you're really good at telling, um, you know, spotting a lizard from 400 yards away. That's cool. And a really interesting conversation piece. And how you got that skill, I don't know. But I don't know that your employers will necessarily care about that unless you go into lizard spotting as a career. Now, how do you figure out what your strengths are? Well, one way to do that is to ask other people. So what I like to have my clients do, or if we're doing this live uh, in person is pair people up and have them tell each other what their strengths are. But for those listening, ask your family, ask your spouse, ask former employers, ask your colleagues, ask people what they think your strengths are. And what's interesting is, is you'll oftentimes see themes emerge and sometimes you'll be completely surprised as to what people say. Uh, so ask lots of people. Other exercises to figure out your strengths include what do I love enough to do for free? There's a little PS here though, don't do it for free. But what do I love enough to do for free? If I had to teach something, what would it be? 
what are my favorite things to do? Now, sometimes we got to go back to previous to residency, but what are your favorite things to do? What do people compliment you on the most? And again, ask people. Another more extensive exercise is think about all the roles you had previously. What skills, abilities, knowledge, tasks, or actions caused you to be successful in that role? What additional areas did you gravitate towards that were not a big part of your role or maybe weren't part of your job at all, but you couldn't help but do anyway? These are the types of things that are your strengths. So take some time and really figure out what your strengths are because certain certain careers are not going to be suited for your strengths while others really are. Next thing I want to talk about as part of career design is deal breakers and ideals. Deal breakers for your career are defined as the minimum something that you must have in order to have a successful career. They're based inherently in your core values, but they're expanded upon from there. Now, there are many different areas to your career, but some things we can talk about as far as deal breakers are commute. I talked about that earlier. If it was the perfect job making a million dollars a year working two days a week, but you had to commute three hours each way, would you do it? Your pay and your benefits. Your ability to help people, like we talked about before. The engagedness of your work. Supportive coworkers and boss. Your work culture. Their ability to support wellness. And opportunities for career growth. For example, I left a really amazing job on paper uh, to take this current job as ER director because there wasn't enough vertical growth. There wasn't enough opportunity for me. And that wasn't part of my plan. So what are your deal breakers versus your ideals? What is the minimum you you need to have versus what do you want? And this is different for everyone. Some people can take, don't need that much in salary for a lot of time off. Not saying you can't have both, but what are your deal breakers? Once you know what your deal breakers are, when a job comes across your desk, you're like, no, I won't do it because of X, Y, Z. Now that's also a negotiation issue too, but think about your deal breakers. They're important. The next step of career design is developing a career hypothesis. Now we're all scientists here and scientists develop hypotheses and then test them. And that's the best way to start talking about what you should do for your career. Once you know your values, your belief system, and your strengths that matter, you can start to develop career hypotheses. And sometimes what you think you want is actually wrong. And the follow-up to hypotheses are experiments. And all hypotheses that you develop must be tested using experiments, right? That's just science. And so one way to do it is just this kind of just right approach. Meet a lot of people, either online or in person, in your desired role or company. So let's say, for example, you think you want to be an academic hospitalist. So you're going to talk to a lot of academic hospitalists. Learn what they, what you like and what you don't like about what they do. And the caveat here is you need to talk to people outside of your institution to get a varied perspective. So let's say you're, you are in residency and a medicine training program. You think you want to be an academic hospitalist. You talk to your faculty and you're like, oh boy, I don't want to do this because of X, Y, Z. Talk to academic hospitalists at other institutions and in other geographic areas and other cities um, to see what they like and they, what they don't like. 
A lot of themes will be similar, but there will be differences institutionally, so it's important to get a varied perspective. Now, for actually getting the job, practically speaking, I'm going to shock everybody here when I say that networking itself is not helpful. Oh my God. The person who loves networking so much is going to say that networking is not helpful. No, because meeting a ton of people online, or let's say you have 10,000 LinkedIn connections and nobody knows who you are or what you do. How is that helpful? Right. Um, So networking for the sake of networking is not helpful. However, targeted relationship building, um, which is a phrase I borrowed from a career coach, Scott Anthony Barlow, uh, is fantastic, right? So you are going to reach out to people that are in the field that you want to do to learn about what they do, right? That's targeted relationship building. And let's say from our previous example, you talked to an academic hospitalist, you said, this is amazing. This is absolutely aligned with what I want to do and my values, my beliefs, my strengths, my deal breakers. This is what I want to do. Then you could shift into opportunity mode once you've had a few informational interviews and conversations. Uh, Ways to do this online are through LinkedIn, um, asking for introductions, right? Uh, Maybe you know somebody who knows somebody. Medicine, you know, it's still a small, it's still a small world at the end of the day. Your CV should be focused on the job you're want, you, that you want. Traditional physician CVs are so boring, right? I did XYZ research and I went to this college and I volunteered at this clinic and nobody cares, right? Um, you should have a CV that not only is visually appealing, but is focused on the, on the job you want with keywords, with skills and strengths tailored to that job. And then finally, once you get a job offer, negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Everything can be negotiated for. This isn't a chat about negotiation, but I want to say this, that time is often the least often negotiated and perhaps the most valuable. For whatever reason, a lot of employers seem to be able to give away time more than money. So let's say you want $30,000 more a year, and they don't want to do that. Well, you could say, all right, in in lieu of the extra salary, I'd like every Friday off or whatever. You'd like one extra day off from clinic, let's say. Oftentimes, they'll acquiesce to that because they're like, okay, sure, I won't give you more money, even though it still is money, right? So negotiate for time because you can never get time back. You could always make more money couple of closing remarks here as well is that your first job is often not your last. Now, this whole exercise is hopefully to get you into a position that you love without going through the rigmarole, but your first is not necessarily your last. And when people say that's why they call it work, that is a flawed paradigm. You should never be unhappy at work. You've, again, spent so much time and money to get here. You should have a job that lights you up. Okay, that's all I got for today, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share it with some of your colleagues if you enjoyed the show. It really helps get the show out there. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is follow me on LinkedIn at my name, Andrew Tisser Dio, where I share most of my career strategy content these days. Thank you again to everyone for listening and keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LLC, or any affiliates thereof. 
The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.